Hi, you're listening to Elevate, the podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. How do we know who we really are unless we experience things? I think exposure is absolutely paramount to life. Resilience, self-confidence, you cannot have them if you're scared of failure. You just can't. If you fail today, tomorrow you are one step closer to succeeding. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast, a series designed to explore teachings, ideas, and thoughts on empowering young girls while celebrating difference. I'm Ramita Anand, your host, teacher, and educational mentor, and I'll be chatting with insightful activists, thought leaders, creatives, and all-round brilliant champions for girls. Through these conversations and my work at Elevate RA Mentoring Services, I hope we can join forces to foster meaningful connections in order to alter the narrative around what being different, especially for young girls, signifies. I am so looking forward to introducing you all to today's interviewee. She is the most dynamic, wonderfully spontaneous and most driven young person I have met in a long time. Her energy and stage presence are mesmerizing, as is her incredible journey to the success that she finds herself in today. Originally from Manchester, UK, my guest is the lovely Ishveen Jolly, CEO and founder of Open Sponsorship, the largest two-sided marketplace for sports sponsorship, which helps connect brands to athletes. From a very young age, Ishveen enjoyed all aspects of sport, watching, following, and of course, playing. While completing her bachelor's and her MA at well-known Oxford University, majoring in economics and management, she was also quite the impressive academic athlete, starting on the college football, cricket and netball teams, while co-captaining the latter two. Upon graduation, she was recruited into management consulting. Not too surprisingly, after a few years of being a consultant, she left to follow her true passion and became a sports agent. Quickly realising how archaic and slow the industry was with its high barriers to entry, lack of transparency, extreme fragmentation and no major tech innovation, she saw herself a new opportunity by founding her own company, OpenSponsorship.com, in 2014. It was at this time that she had the brilliant foresight to create opportunity for many athletes who are financially unable to work without sponsorship. Despite being in an industry worth 60 billion, sponsorship had seen almost no innovation up to this point, and therefore, Ishveen decided to find a way to change this. Taking risks and not always being completely supported on these decisions by those around her was not something Ishveen was new to. She works with her instincts and takes chances on things that she feels passionate about, which I can't wait to chat more about with her in this interview as it is such a fantastic quality and I know many more females might wish they had it. Drawing parallels to other well-known enterprises, open sponsorship can be viewed as the equivalent of Match.com or Airbnb of sponsorship. Ishveen's grit and hard work, not to mention her innovative drive and foresight, has secured her a place impressively in Forbes 30 Under 30 in 2015 and among the top 100 female founders in 2019. Today, her company, Open Sponsorship, is the world's largest and smartest marketing platform with a community of thousands of professional athletes and brands. 
The community consists of resounding 11,000 professional athletes covering 160 sports in 120 countries with brands from all industries, geographies and size. It is my utmost pleasure to introduce the lovely visionary who is as beautiful as she is talented to the Elevate podcast today. Thank you for being here, Ishveen Jolly. And wait for it, as an added extra treat, definitely an Elevate first and a special episode for me to have Ishveen's mother join us, Dr. Jolly. Thank you for also coming on to the Elevate podcast. It is such a pleasure to have both of you here. And I love that you've included your mum into the interview. Thank you. Thank you very much for inviting me. <laughs> Thank you. This is going to be great. I love the fact that Ishveen had the idea to have not just herself, but also one of the most influential women in her life join us on this podcast. So this is going to be fun. I would love for both of you to take me back to what it was like to your younger selves. Let's start with Ishveen. I know much of your love for sport comes from being your dad's sports partner, is something I read. But tell us more about the young Ishveen. And let's actually, yeah, let's ask you, Ishveen, what you felt you were like. And then I'd love to know if your mum, what your mum's words would be to describe you as a young child. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so I grew up um, like obsessed with sports, playing mostly, watching a little bit, and then. They, um, they moved live sports to Sky and as a good Indian family, we did not get cable because we had to work hard um, and study. Um, so I think we stopped watching, apart from Wimbledon, which like, you know, probably why so many Indians watch tennis. Um, but I played a lot and you mentioned my dad and, and being a sports partner, but I'd say like my mom and I really bonded um, every Saturday morning. She would drive me quite far to school, to, to my netball games, like rain, sun, you know snow shine whatever it may be um and afterwards like she'd be cheering on the sidelines and then afterwards we'd like you know take an analysis of the game and whatever else so I'd say when I think back like sports for me was so important but at the same time it was such a big bonding moment with both my parents individually for different reasons which was really nice so cool and would you say Dr Jolly that you also love sport as a young girl or is it something that you saw in your daughter and you sort of was intrigued by her absolute enthusiasm for it? No I think I did love sports because I remember when I was in school uh, I used to play in basketball within the school and I was one of the shorter one and the girl I was paired with me was probably twice my height <laughs> or much taller, one of the tallest girls. So I mean, I still played and I used to love playing other sport like rounders and things. So yeah, I think I had some um, thing, but not as much as what Ishwin has played. So like she's played into school. I never did that, but it was nice to have my girls playing that. Sure. You, you mentioned girls. So, Shemin, you are the middle child of three daughters. Is that correct? Yes. And <laughs> w- was that something that was within the whole family then? Or did you have a particular interest in it, Shemin? I mean, I would say I'm, I'm probably the sportiest um, and obviously the only one that works in sports as well. Um, I'd say we all are very interested in sport. In fact, I just came back from playing netball with my little sister who continues to play and I needed to sub for her, but, uh, for her team. But I would say... I was probably the most passionate about it and probably 
in terms of level progressed the furthest, I think. Mum, we all right with that wording? Yeah, yeah. I think you've done better in sports than the other. Uh, the younger one does play sport, but she's not as good as you. Uh, another thing I would like to add is that her dad was very sporty as well when he was young. So I think it's all gone from both of us to a higher level there. <laughs> Yeah, that's brilliant. And obviously, I mean, in my family, um, if I'm candid about it, my brother was, in, we were all encouraged to do lots of extracurricular activities, but we were put in swimming, the girls, I have two, so we were two girls and a boy and ice skating and figure skating. And my brother was doing ice hockey and soccer. And my sister said, I want to do karate and soccer. And suddenly she was labeled the tomboy of our house, which used to really bother her because she just really loved the sport and didn't want to do Indian classical dancing like I did or ballet like I had to you know real segregation of even though within sport what their daughters might do and what their sons I don't know if you've ever experienced that or something that you find no not really I think we've never thought like that my girls are not allowed to do this so in fact uh, outside school as well they used to go trampolining and things like that which was added thing uh, and we never stopped them from doing anything they wanted to do really oh I i'd say that. i think because we have no um boys there was never really a a, a thought about that's a boy yeah there was never a boy or a girl thing like we played we all played cricket growing up and i think it's interesting when you hear that when there are like siblings um of different genders sometimes it's like well the boy plays cricket and you do dance whereas we didn't you know, we didn't ever have that. So I think it, it kind of changes because it's like, what does a tomboy mean if there's no boy in the family? Really interesting point and a good observation to have made. But I think given that you're one generation almost onwards from me, I think maybe your parents were maybe, maybe, I don't know. It was just an interesting thought when I thought about the fact that your three daughters were so sporty and, and you encouraged them to do whatever they wanted. Now I'd love to know you about what you were like as a student, Ishveen. Why don't we start with your mum? What kind what words would you describe Ishveen as a young teenager in high school and then at university? She was very happy go lucky. And I think she didn't just concentrate on her studies. In fact, she got away with better marks with studying less compared to her elder sister. <laughs> <laughs> she felt she had to study more to get the same level of uh, grades and Ishwin sort of worked less but sell through more <laughs> with lesser work. You were naturally gifted. Mum, going to cause problems in the family over here with these words. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I think they all have their own thing in different ways, but Ishwin was uh, enjoying life as well and studying as well. Let's put it that way. She loved to do all the extracurricular along with the studies. Fantastic. And what about you, Ishwin? Would you use similar words to describe yourself? Yeah, I think so. I mean, on you always think you work hard until you look at what other people are like really doing and then you know you reflect I was with some high school friends actually recently and one of them was like all I did was study and I was like how like we didn't have that much work to do and I think um you you look back and you think about okay well what are your traits so I can be hyper focused for quite a long time um 
when I want to be. And I think a lot of, listen, I, I do have a lot of thoughts on like the education system and is it absolutely correct? Does it really serve us for future life and being the people we want to be? Um, but it's very geared towards exams. And if it's geared towards exams, then basically you need to have the ability to focus very quick, like on you know, certain things, just in time, remember them, and then you can forget about them, which is not great, but like, um, and I suppose I, I had mastered that, which probably helped me a lot in my education. And then, you know, it's funny, you know, like my, every time I go home, I'm sure a lot of people have this. Every time I go home, my mom tries to give me a folder of like past coursework or like old textbooks. And it's like, please go through them and throw them away if you never want to see them again. And um, so I recently went through one from, from Oxford and I turned to mom and I was like, did I tell you I studied, um, I was struggling at university? And she was like, no. I was like, every exam, not exam, every essay, and we had to write two essays a week at Oxford. Every essay, it was like, basically like, this is crap. Try harder, this is crap, try harder. You've missed the point, you missed. And clearly the fact that I like carried on living my life, I'm sure deep down it was hurting me, but like, as mom says, like happy-go-lucky, like just figuring it out and like not taking, you know, not taking it too seriously and enjoying myself as well. That's a really great lesson for lots of young people. I think that's really nice to be able to look at your coursework and enjoy it for what it is. Never take yourself too seriously because I think far too many young girls are putting pressure on themselves to be defined by their exam results younger and younger and younger. Um, at least in the work that I do as a teacher here, that's definitely been a massive thing and the anxiety that girls are getting around even the 11 plus the four plus it's absolutely bonkers so I think this is a really refreshing message I, I appreciate that thank you being a woman from Indian family expectations I feel that there are sometimes implicit cues from our society that tells us that certain feelings or certain attitudes towards things are seen as negative or too bad to share and I wondered if you felt that in the time that you were young and a teenager growing up going to school versus what Ishveen did and in, in her era and and I'm not sure did you grow up in India Dr Jolly? I did I did I grew up there, I studied there, I got married there, then moved here. Okay, so then there's a whole immigrant factor to this too, which I love. It would be great if you could talk to me about whether or not there were certain things and expectations put on you as an Indian female that shape you, obviously, as a person you are today. But are there things that we can learn from that for the next generation? Are there things that we can keep as the positives of those Indian values and cultural norms that have come through our Indian teachings and values and are there things that we should be working harder to leave behind especially for young girls? I came from a very traditional family my parents weren't my mom wasn't educated uh, she didn't have the opportunity to study learn English for that matter because before independence my grandfather said oh uh, British are going to leave, so there's the English won't be spoken in India, so you don't need to learn. And she got married before she was 16, just before she was 16. But my mother um, always wanted her daughters to study. Our three brothers and we are two sisters. But she always wanted her daughters to study and if need be in life, 
look after themselves and their families, be independent if need be, for various reasons, whatever reason, because she saw one of her sisters having problems in her married life. So she had this thing, I want my daughters to be self-sufficient. So she encouraged me. I, for myself, uh, my father wasn't keen on me studying further <laughs> because traditionally, get married, settle down, that's it. If you study too much, it gets late for the marriage. And for some strange reason, I come from a business family, but I wanted to be a doctor even when I was in primary school. So when it came to the crunch, my father wasn't keen. But I said, I'll try once for the admission. If I get in, I'll go for it. I will not attempt a second time any entrance exam. My luck is bad luck or whatever I got through. But then he was very proud of it afterwards. I don't think he would have had it any other way after that. So yes, I think my mother was very motivating for me. I love that. That's amazing. Where, where I lived, there weren't very female, very many female drivers, car drivers in the town. It was a small town. But my father encouraged me to drive, learn driving. My mother encouraged me. And I was one of the few female drivers you could see around the town. <laughs> so in that respect, my father didn't say anything. He wanted me to learn. So, and my mother didn't know any driving, but she would say, come on, let's go, you can drive. I was a new driver, but she sat with me as if, if I had problems, she would take over, but she didn't know ABC or driving. So she was a great motivating factor for me. So in that respect, that's what I carried through, that my children at that time, whatever, when I got married, they will not be, held back for any, from anything. So I'll encourage them and let them do whatever they want. And I think their father as well, he's been, the girls should be independent. They should do whatever they want to do. That's absolutely beautiful. I love the fact that you had all this gravitas from such a young age, but you were supported and championed by your parents, by your carers. And that that is everything what you need. And I love the fact that you've illustrated how it came full circle for you when you were a mother, that the same things were instilled. And I think that's a cycle that sometimes we get stuck in if the modeling is of a different ilk. And how do we break that cycle and how do we get into that harder part of in that respect, I would like to bring in my mother-in-law as well. When I, when I was going to get married, she wanted a doctor, daughter-in-law, because my husband's also a doctor. So she wanted a doctor, daughter-in-law. So when the, it was arranged marriage, but when it came through, she had no hesitation. And she never held me back from progressing further. In fact, she was a great help when the girls were growing up because she was there to look after them. But again, it's so interesting that you had to jump through that first hoop. You had to prove your status by being the doctor before she accepted the rest of your amazing personality, I'm sure. My husband had three brothers. I'm the only doctor in, uh, daughter-in-law in the family. His brother didn't want a doctor wife. 
So, uh, so it wasn't that it has to be, but it was an ambition to have one. Sweet. Again, that, that's a lovely, lovely uh, insight into how some of these arranged marriages work and some of them don't. But I love, I love the fact that you've spoken to it. What about you, Ishveen? Do you feel that some of our cultural values have had some sort of implicit norms that may have shaped who you are and maybe stopped you or hindered you either in your career, personally, professionally, to show up as, as your authentic self? Yeah, I'd say that I think we Indians as cult, culturally Indians care about education a lot. I mean, we just talked about it, like the, the onus on the exams. And I think that is amazing to a certain extent um, because ultimately still education at 11 years old, all three sisters went to um, pop, like, what do you, uh, like normal school, like public schools. I get confused because I've lived in America, right? So I think it's like public schools. Um, till 11, um, unisex um, schools, uh, no, multi-sex, but whatever, Boy, boys and girls together. At 11, my sister was already at a girls' school, private girls' school. And I cried and cried and cried, did not want to go all my friends were going to the school down the road, like absolutely hated it. And then, you know, my parents really pushed me and like essentially forced me to go, which is fine. And obviously I'm so thankful now that I, I had that, like they, they did the right thing by that. If I hadn't gone to Manchester High, I would have never have got into Oxford. If I'd not got into Oxford, I probably would not be sitting in, in the place I am today with the independence and whatever else. So I'd say, I think that the focus on education is key and great as long as it is not detrimental to the rest of you as an independent being, it's almost like, you know, and no offense to a lot of the parents out there. And among the point, point of some of these podcasts is to say like controversial things. So I don't mind, but like, I think sometimes what can happen is, you know, you hear about it in India, like, Oh, we're getting our MBA to get married because it helps our marriage curriculum vitae. I'm like, you're getting an MBA so that you get a better husband? Like, blow my mind. Like, what the hell is that? And so, you know, and I see like people who've gone to amazing schools, like LACs and the UCLs of the world, and then they get married and stop working. And, and that's fine. I'm not judging that. But it's like, it feels a little bit like, well, surely you didn't care about doing economics at university if you didn't want to work. Like, surely you have a passion for art or music or entrepreneurial as something else that you should have pursued. Because if you really didn't care about your career, then why go through all the pain of like getting all the A-levels and the A-stars? And then, so I think for me, like this education thing is a bit of a funky where it's like, what's the point of education if you're not going to build off it? Or whatever that may look like, right? Like be it the way that you started this podcast to inspire, like, that's amazing and you were given the tools when you were young so like do something and so like I would encourage people out there to go follow your passion if your passion isn't to be in a normal co corporate career that's fine but then don't do like do something different from the beginning um and that that to me is a dichotomy sometimes where it's like this heavy focus on education but then suddenly as soon as you hit like 23 25 27 it's like marriage is the focus as if the education was just to get you there. Oh, there's so much I want to talk based on what you've just said. And that does lead me on beautifully because I was going to go from education, job, 
job, marriage, marriage, kids, and it never stops, then it's continually, well, I think, from what I've seen, and of course, this is a mass generalization, I'm not saying all Indian or South Asian families are like this, but having lived in Southeast Asia the last three years, I think, and before that, I was in Canada, and I've also lived in New York, so I think the West-East thing blew me a little bit and threw me, because I see it in the Chinese families, and I see it in, in lots of Asian families, not just not just Indian Asian family. So I think that, you know, obviously I'm not trying to say this is all an Indian thing, but I do think the status around job and then the marriage that follows afterwards is an expectation that we put on our children from, even if it's subconsciously, it starts to stem on these girls from a very young age. And I mentioned in the introduction, Ishveen, that you left your big corporate job to pursue what you loved. And that is a risk-taking thing, you know, not, and maybe not something that was championed by everybody around you at the time. But what gave you that courage to say, I don't want to do this anymore because it's not for, and, I, and again, I didn't say this, but the point I was going to make is, is it actually for the parents or is it for the people that they think they're, the society in which they live? And is this going to look a certain way if their children are, educated to a certain degree, get a good job, and then marry a certain type of person? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. I would say that, like, I mean, I think a lot about it a lot now, and I, I get quizzed about it a lot as well. And I'd say we, this idea of, like, trust your instincts, and you hear people go, like, oh, you have really good instincts, so, like, you follow your heart. I think what's, what I have realized is interesting is we are a blend of multiple personalities and there are many facets to us as human beings. And we may be great at following our heart or instincts on one thing, but not so much on the other. And I would encourage people to really think about that. Like my dear mother, who I love to bits, is an amazing, amazing mother and can do everything for our needs. But I sometimes think that she doesn't even know what she needs. And I think that's a huge topic that a lot of people talk about, right? And so um, I would say like, do we understand ourselves and do we understand ourselves fully? And for me, I think when on reflection, I realize now that professionally, I've always followed my instincts. Like I've put my desire first, even, my, like my dad wanted a, a, me to be a doctor. Like my sister went on to be an optometrist. And I remember, I don't know if you remember, I, I was like at parents evening, and I think I'd already got my Oxford offer and I was doing biology, chemistry, like maths and economics. And Baba says to the teacher, um, so she could still apply to medicine. I'm, I'm not applying to medicine. Like I literally almost fainted in the dissection class. I had to leave. I'm not going to be a medic, right? And so, you know, I knew that like, okay, I want to study economics. That's my thing. And then like, I left and I interned at Ernst Young. I was like, I don't want to work at a big company. That's not my thing. And then Javelin Group after like literally a year and a half, I was like, this is not my thing. Like, so, and so I think I'm so in sync with my professional intuition, but frankly, I don't think I have been as in sync with like my relationships intuition or my like personal intuition, right? Or like mom, like her needs intuition. And so I think it's just really important for everyone out there to like be a fully well-rounded person so that they're not at some point in this like amazing career, but they have no idea 
what they even want to do on a Sunday, what makes them happy and things like that. That's such a valid point and such a wonderfully insightful way to think about our whole selves. And I think women particularly, and then women of color um, or minority groups can sometimes fall under that, under that pressure or that pressure cooker even more in some, in some big event sometimes it takes before they actually take a step back and think, oh, why did that just happen? And what were the events that led me to this? So my mission is hopefully to get into those teen years where they're where the girls are forming their identities and they're at that impressionable time so that they can maybe take a Shabin's advice and look at all the bits of them that make them happy and what drives their purpose or sense of purpose and they don't need to, I don't mean to say that you have to have it all figured out and you need to know you want to be a doctor at the age of 14 but I just mean look it around you try things try as many things as possible and see what you love and what you don't love yeah and I love the fact that you were obviously a go-getter and you did what you wanted to I think sometimes like it's a blessing and a curse a lot of Indian kids never need money growing up we don't need to work and it's so beautiful right like I don't, you know, money just appeared, like food just appeared, like we didn't have to, that's right, you know, we could concentrate on studies, but at the same time, sometimes when I meet people who grew up in Europe or like even in England, who had five different, 10 different jobs, they start forming opinions about like, you know, I remember I, like I got a job as a bank cashier, thanks to mum, because it was her patient that got me in. And it was the only, and I wanted to like, I wanted to be a waitress that wasn't allowed admittedly I probably shouldn't have been a waitress if you look at my kitchen like I wanted to I wanted to work in a shoe shop that wasn't allowed like you know whatever like I wanted to do something at Tesco do cash it like that wasn't and so got a job in a cashier and I remember sitting around and think looking at people who'd been who and I, I was like this is your life like you're going to be in this role for 20 years and there's not like that is a great job but cashiering is a great job but I knew something within me it was like god I would not want to this is a great summer job and I think because we're quite shielded as kids, we don't start forming these opinions about what we do and don't like ourselves early on enough, right? And I think that is something that I would, if people are out there, I'd be like, go tell your kids to get lots of like little jobs so that they can realize, do they enjoy sales? Do they like social media? Do they like this? And, um, you, you know, that one job probably defined so much of me that I was like, I never want to be in a job where like, I'm going to do the same thing every day. Because it was great for summer job, but I'm sure I came home to mom and be like, this, I'm really good at this, but this is boring. Like it's fun, it pays me. So I think there's something around that, that we're not exposed a lot as, as South Asians to a lot of things. Yeah, and I think it's getting even more sheltered I think girl, lots of children I mean there's a whole thing called snowflake kids right where they're so sheltered because of the dangers out there and mommy calls an uber or daddy calls an uber or and they don't understand how to read a map or get on the pubs you know they swipe to pay they snap their watches to get groceries it's 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 incredible you know I used to count my quarters to make sure I could buy my after school snacks so it was a real thing to, to have allowance and things yeah so I get that I think there's definitely work ethic and determination and putting in that quality time of getting to know your hard work. Have you got something to say, Dr. Jolly? Go ahead. <laughs> I'd just like to say something. Sure. I know you're saying you weren't allowed. She says she wasn't allowed to do these jobs, but she had certain ideas, okay? And because she could talk a lot right from the beginning, she was a good speaker. And she said, oh, I want to be a lawyer. And her dad said, 
No, not a good idea. Because he, as a GP, he had a lot of patients and their children had grown up to be lawyers because you see families throughout in England. So he said, there are a lot of lawyers who don't get good jobs. So I don't think you'll be happy. Then she thought she loves maths, so she'll become an accountant. And then we managed to get her to sit in with the accountant for a couple of weeks. And she said, no, that's very boring. I wouldn't want to do it. So I think there were some options that were excluded there. Uh, no, no, Mom, I'm not complaining about you. I'm saying you didn't let me work in a shoe shop selling shoes. Like, it's absolutely fine. I think, how do we know who we really are unless yeah. we experience yeah. things? Yeah. That's all. Like, how can we integrate with society and get on with people who are different? Like, a lot of people ask me why they, like, why do you think you're successful to me? And I say, it's because I have the ability to work with so many different types of people. And I think India really helped with that, right? Like working with such different personalities. When I worked in the cashier, there was such different personalities. Like I think exposure is absolutely paramount to life, personal and professional success. And I love the fact, Dr. Jolly, that you say your husband took the time to reflect on Ishveen's personality. A lot of parents may not actually look at the child in front of them. They they parent from their own place of fear of everything else around them. And they don't look at the child that's in front of them. I think what you've just illustrated there is that he actually took the time to understand what kind of person she is and try to guide her into a career that might be. So I, I'm going to give him, I'm going to give him points for that. <laughs> <laughs> I think he would have loved if one of the daughters had graduated as a doctor. Okay. But I, I, I didn't have up. anything like that. I didn't feel like that. I thought they should do whatever they want to do. So I never said to any of them, you have to be a doctor or you should be a doctor. So, yeah, but you can try and guide them. That's all. That's true. That's true. So then I'm going to ask both of you this question. Why don't we start with you, Dr. Jolly? You can tell me first. Do you think women can have it all? Are you in the camp that some things just have to give in order to pursue others? Uh, in the current climate, you can have more than what you could have, say, 40 years ago. It's a great okay. answer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you can have it all if you have a lot of money, maybe. <laughs> because if you have kids, then that's where you have to strike a balance sometimes, I think. But yes, I think you can still have it all, but there are not very many women who can have absolutely everything they want. And is that, do you think, because the system isn't, I listened to Indra Nui talk about this a lot in her days of working as the uh, chief exec of Pepsi and how she sacrificed her fitness and her health and raising her children. She wasn't there for the lot of the young ages of her kids growing up because there were not enough companies supporting women in the workforce to who were having children. I don't think that's changed huge amounts either. As a doctor, did you find that you were able to do more of the child, all the things, not if, if people don't want to have children, that's fine too. But I meant, did you feel you were empowered enough to have the choice to be with your kids when you wanted to be with your kids, but pursue your professional life when you wanted to pursue your professional life? 
and be a homemaker and the daughter-in-law and the sister-in-law and all the other million of roles that you must play? I think I got a lot of what I wanted to do because I had a good family support from my mother-in-law, my father-in-law. When Ishwin and her older sister were younger, okay? Because they were there. I was working in hospitals, not coming home for two days, uh, went on calls, so it was difficult. If I didn't have them, I would have struggled. So this support, your network is very important. Then you can have it. If you don't have support network, you need enough money to get enough helpers around. But having said that, my daughter still complains sometimes, mom, you are not there for our sports day. You are not there for this thing. You're not there or you come late. That was a little bit of give and take. Mom guilt, that is kind of termed at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, I, I understand that. It's, it's hard. I, I think you struggle sometimes to do everything. I'm sure you probably find that as well. Yes, I'm not sure it's a healthy thing, though. That's what I'm trying to wonder. I know, I know it's not. It's <laughs> yeah. not. But um, how, do you get, how do you get past the guilt, Mum? What's your advice? Just think you try and do the best. <laughs> That's it. And make them understand that. Like, I think when you become a parent, you realise how hard it is to manage it the kids and uh, give them all the time that you thought you should have as a child. And then you may not be able to do the same as well. So um, I don't know. I, I didn't have guilt really as such. I was happy with my work and I was happy with my family. Managed. No, but that's beautiful because it means you were a very fulfilled woman. And that's really nice to hear. Not many women do that. I think a lot of women in the generation above mine talk about regret a lot and wish they had done things differently. No, I, I have no regrets. I have no regrets. And again, the dad also helped sometimes. They think he didn't help as much, but they don't remember when they were young. <laughs> Maybe it's not a good idea that... You're just managing, but... Um... No, no, but that's important. It's an important reminder. I think what you've just said humanizes everything. You know, we are at the end of the day, not super women all the time. You can't be superheroes all the time, but you can be your best self each day. And, and that's what I keep telling the girls in my courses, that if you bring your best self every day to your schoolwork, to your homework, to whatever you're doing, and then eventually that will carry into your workplace and relationship building and friendships, then that's all anyone can ever ask of you. And I think that's all parents really should, and teachers should be asking of, of young people. But that's that's me. Ishmeen, what do you think? <laughs> what do you think? Well, firstly, I wonder whether my parents did feel less guilt because being doctors, they were serving. And I think sometimes maybe the guilt is higher in like a corporate role where you feel like you're not serving. Like I, I remember... I read something once and I, I was like, as a doctor, like you, you're literally, your job, your day job is like fixing, like fixing people. So you, you, your work is, is so meaningful. And for a lot of us, I think we question, is our work meaningful? Are we actually changing the world? You know, that phrase, well, we're not saving lives. So it doesn't matter if we could, like, 
this job they are. And so I do wonder whether there's something about doctors, like whether mum would have had more guilt working as hard as she did if she wasn't doing something so noble in her day job. So firstly, just, just the thought, I don't know. Um, can women have it all is the question. I wonder, so no, I definitely don't think all, all can be had. I think what we, I think there's probably a lot of questioning around um, what is the priority? Like if you're like, okay, can you be a very, very, um, like as mom said, like if you have enough money, but that means a lot of women would be like, well, that's not great because then I'm not attached to my kids, right? And so it's like, can you be super attached to your kids? Can you work in a really like sexy corporate job? Can you have a great relationship with your husband, have friends, have time to work out, eat healthy? Like, absolutely not. But then I'd say like men probably would say, well, I can't have it all either, right? Because like, I want to have it. And I think COVID has shown that just as much, which is like, there are a lot of men who do want to have a great relationship with their children. They've, for the first time, woken up to the fact that like, oh my God, staying at home is hard. I wish I could help out more. We hired um, someone for our team, our head of UK is a man, and he just had his first child. And I would say he's interested as, at being at home as much as his wife is and being present and enjoying that moment and doing it together. So I think the whole mindset shift, I think the system is completely broken for maternity and paternity. But as a business owner myself, it's really scary to think that I bring someone on who in a, could go away for a year and not be present on maternity leave. But then the problem is like, okay, now if I share that burden with a man, like, wait, he's going to be away for a year? Like, so I think the whole system is completely broken. I don't, I don't even know what the answer is, which is like so, so tough. I think that we probably need to think about what is all like what and it goes back down to like what is important to you I don't think there are many people out there who necessarily care about every single one of those boxes so let's just decide which box you care about and and be okay with your journey of if kids is not your thing that's okay or if kids are but it's not to be 100% present because you care about work, fine. If work is not your thing, even though kind of counter to what I said about like the job thing, but my point wasn't don't sit at home. My point was, but then why have the education that you had before it? But I think like the point being is I think we, we should just stop judging everyone um, for being, giving up what they're giving up, right? Like no one can have it all but what is all, let's reframe that and let's live for like what your journey is. And I, I remember like, I recently went through a divorce and I was like, right, I'm going to get off this path and get back on, I'm going to find someone and get, and then I was like, wait, why is that my path? Why does that have to be the path? Like, why can't we be on a different path? And so I just think let's everyone have, what I hope for the next generation is that everyone has their own path and all doesn't mean all of those things all means like happiness for yourself yeah and you define that for yourself and, and and I think until we spend time reflecting and spending more time thinking about who we are as people we can't really work that out I think if we just keep hearing things from society schools education educators and parents that you're building up a this I well what I call the perfectionist girl who gets formed really young and that though for that type of personality ticking every one of those boxes becomes a priority and they burn out when they can't do it because it's just not you know we're all imperfectly perfect there's no such thing as perfectionism in my view but yeah I think that's um 
that's really important. Okay, so Ishmeen, in your work, you talked a little bit about your organization and I introduced a lot about it in the introduction. Um, you do acknowledge that it's never an easy fight for women, especially in sport. We've talked a lot about all the other bits. Um, let's talk about work then. There's a constant need for women to prove and stand up for themselves, especially in male dominated industries. But that hasn't stopped them. You think there are women that are succeeding on every level, particularly in sport. And I think we've seen wonderful examples of that recently in the tennis, in the Olympics, it's been great. But I wanted to know that you, you suggest that from your personal experience, that you understand the importance of helping guarantee females, especially female athletes, what they deserve and not just the bare minimum. And I love this idea because there's been so much chat about tick box and you know gender equality and must bring on somebody into the board that's female or we must hire someone based on their gender. And I think that's also causing slight controversy. And I'm sure change is happening. I'm sure change is coming, but maybe not fast enough for girls and women. I would love to know what you'd like to see change for girls in this world, in this space, in the near future. And how do you propose we do it? Okay, just so I understand, in the business of sports or in the, the playing of sports? Your background now is business of sport. So why don't we go into your business of sport? So I'll give you some like reference points. We, we put out a head of UK job. I must have got, uh, JD, we must have got over 100 applications, not one woman applied. Our head of UK has now hired two people in the UK, obviously most of our companies based in America, two men, and I'm like, we need to bring on women. And he's like, I've literally not had one application. And so, but yet when I meet young girls, it's like, oh my God, sports and whatever else. And so where is the fall off? That's what we need to solve for, which is, which is why I love doing stuff like this to be like, these are our careers. Like the diversity imbalance is so real that if, if a woman applied to our job, there is a high chance if she's even 10% below a man, she'd still get a job, which, you know, is controversial to say, and maybe I'm legal, I'm not sure. But the point being is like, but no, it's not because I need women to be in my organization to sell to makeup brands and to sell to female apparel brands and to sell our female athletes. And so I have this need that is being unfulfilled. And so I think we need to address where the fall off is. Now, is it, is it parenting where it's like, no, this is your career. Is it expectation that like a career in sports is not, you know, for a guy, it's like a career in sports is a holy grail. For a woman, it's like not, not cool. If you meet a man who works in fashion, wait, they must be gay. Like that's just the stereotype, right? Like we need to get over that, right? Straight men work in fashion. And so I would say, is it our education systems that's killing it? Um, I don't. I don't really know where the problems are, but I can tell you it's such a big issue. And it, it doesn't make sense to me that we work in marketing, which skews female, but we're in sports and we don't have. And so there have been articles put out that like females drop off playing sports because of like body image issues. And like they start, you know, I imagine like they start their periods and then they feel uncomfortable. They stop swimming. They like, you know, grow differently or like, it's, you know, your parents encourage it, but it's only to get you into university and then you drop off and then you get into, so I don't think that working in sports has to do with playing sports, but 
why is there such a drop off at the playing level as well? Why don't we encourage all the stuff that's around health and wellness and fitness and staying fit? Why is it so hard for people to get back into fitness at the age of like 30? Why do we drop off? Like that doesn't, need, I mean, obviously it's easy for me to say because I played sports throughout, but like, I just think so much has to be done for us to encourage people to like go to the gym, work out or do whatever your form is. Like if you enjoy badminton, I'm sure there are so many people on this call who listening who like love badminton, but they stop playing. Why? And I don't know, like the business of sports is wrong. Playing of sports is, is dropping off. Like the whole thing is a bit of an issue in my opinion. I have to agree with you. I, I do think that I did speak to a few football coaches on previous podcast interviews and teachers and vice principals who all mentioned this idea around body, girls and senior levels of sports dropping off because of body positivity issues and eating disorders and all sorts of health issues that come with that. Now, I'm not saying that's the only reason, but I have to concur that there seems to be a lot of evidence out there suggesting that young girls are breaking their enthusiasm or losing some of their interest because of some of the other things but I think this is a really great invitation and a really good point to, to to sort of call out through the megaphone for young people because I know when I mentioned I was doing this podcast to my niece who lives in New York and to my daughter and my sister they were all like she sounds amazing she's like this sounds amazing you've got you've got a woman doing what and I was like yeah I know it's not going to be a great podcast all right let, let's let's talk again then about how we encourage young girls and maybe we can start with Dr. Jolly on this one. How do you encourage young girls to put their hand up for things that might otherwise seem too scary or intimidating in all situations? So you might've found it in your profession. I don't know if it was harder to be a female physician. And I know for you, Shreen, for sure, this does talk a little bit about the experiences you've had and working in a male dominated industry. What are the ways we can tell females to not feel so scared? I think in certain fields, it's easier to be a female, like doctors nowadays, you hear in medicine, there's more female candidates than males sometimes in taking the colleges, uh, medical schools. But there are other fields where there is less of intake, like engineering. I was reading an article the other day about a female engineer involved with the shard and uh, she's from Mumbai. She's come here. And she said when in India she was studying, the ratio of men to women in the engineering college was 3,000 to 18. So like engineering is one field, sports is another. There are certain types of uh, professions where females don't go so much. But I think the way to promote it would be like if there are female athletes, you always read more in the papers and in the media about male athletes, male sports men, rather than female sports women. Except a few, like top tennis players or whatever but generally you don't they don't get so much publicity like the males get so I think that probably has some effect on the females like not thinking it's a viable career or not as good a career whatever that's one thing that I think if there is more publicity around the females in these fields 
uh, it would be helpful, more helpful. If you can't see it, you can't be it. Fair enough. There needs to be more representation. Yeah, yeah you can't see them. So there's no role model for them to follow. Not as many. Whereas for men, it's easier. They see spokesperson everywhere in the companies and the like advertising or whatever sports agents and things. They're all mainly men you hear of. You don't hear so many females there. Yeah, no, I have to say I was completely taken aback when I read Ishmeen's bio when I met with her a few weeks back. I was like, oh, how amazing. And not just a female, but she's an Indian female. I was literally like my chest was bursting with pride because I could see someone doing something that I hadn't maybe is my subconscious bias got to me about what that role looks like in, in my head. Probably it was a male. And similarly, you know, I, I know I was recruited into some of the schools I was because I had a science background and we couldn't find female science teachers. There are things that are still hard for, for people to fulfill. But yeah, I mean, in terms of putting your hands up again, Rishin, do you want to speak to that a little bit? I think what could be like, you know, the phrase imposter syndrome, and obviously it's usually used towards females, right? Like the idea that I don't, I don't deserve this, I don't belong in the room or whatever else. I think it'd be interesting to know, like, if you did a survey among nine-year-old girls and boys in a class, and like you showed a company like open sponsorship, and let's say at nine, there's an equal amount of love for sports between the two. How many of the little boys would be like, I could work there? And how many of the little girls would already be like, oh, no, no, I can't work there? I wonder what age there's like that stat that when a, when a guy reads a JD, even if he's like 70% qualified, he's like, I could do this job. When a girl reads a JD, even if she's like 90% qualified, she's like, she'll find the one thing that she can't do and be like, oh, I couldn't do this, right? And I wonder whether there's a lot of like, I shouldn't have worked in sports. I was a management consultant, right? Like I had no business moving to India and like becoming a sports agent, selling sponsorship. I had no idea what I was doing, but like, obviously that was like the whole point of my talk. Like I backed myself and I don't know where that came from. Obviously I'm sure it came from my mom and my dad and it came from their parents as well and like their journey. And then also I think like, you know, growing up, like you hear about my grandparents went through partition, right? And then they went through 1984. My parents went through changing country and racism as, you know, turban wearing Sikh guy, wasn't allowed to play hockey and whatever else. Like, what's the hardest thing I've had to face? Really look at what they've gone through. Nothing scares me based, if they did that and survived and flourished, I'll be okay kind of thing, right? And so I think like, is there a mindset among, you know, with like these girls, they're not reaching out. They're not trying to get internships with us. They're not trying to push themselves forward. We had one Indian girl come and intern for us and her parents like knew me from Gudwara in New York and encouraged her to apply because she played soccer. I don't think she would have reached out herself and she was so quiet, went to Brown or something, great school. So I think like, can we encourage our girls to say, be like, you want something, go get it, go write a cold email go fight for it because the guys are right they believe that they can work for a formula one team or man united what's your dream so true so that kind of ties us beautifully back to the elevate five superpowers and one of them is resilience and i was going to talk a little bit about that and confidence you Ishmin, can you talk to me about this whole idea i love the fact that you use that phrase you back yourself so it all starts with a bit of self-confidence and confidence in one and growth mindset is something that i work on 
So if you were to look at the five superpowers that I talk about, which are confidence, empathy, resilience, emotional intelligence, and kindness, which is what I feel is really missing in some of the school academic curriculum and in shaping the girls that we want to have in the future working for places like yours, to have that go-getting attitude. First of all, maybe your personal reflections. How did you find ways to back yourself up? Maybe that will shed some inspiration for others listening. Or do you have any advice for, for parents, Dr. Jolly, on how we can raise more girls like Yashveen who, who do go and back themselves? First thing, let them do what they want to do. Don't restrict them. Don't hold them back. And I know we do sometimes, but then I think it's in a way of guidance, not because we don't want them to go forwards. And... Second, I think parents should always be talking and encouraging girls that they can do better. They can always do. Go above the normal, let's say, ceiling to break the ceiling. I think that's the way forward. I do think that sports played a big part in me not seeing and I, I think we're probably more aware like back in the day when you know when I was growing up there was like no social media right and I don't think it was talked about as much like the difference between girls and boys it's a good thing now because it's being corrected but it's also a bad thing because you're basically brought up thinking about it right like it's a constant you know thing where like and sports joked about this before like I yeah, got long hair, I wore a plaid, I wore glasses, super geeky. And but I was captain of my netball team and therefore I presented in assembly and I was therefore cool. And that's not a good thing to say, but like, you know, I was accepted and whatever else, right? And sport meant that I remember our goalkeeper was Muslim. We had two black girls who were the best girl, like the best players on the team, myself, like a few other like white chicks, and we were all the same. In fact, people have joked about this, like. In America, you always want to be the black kid until you until it's like you're 16. And then you never want to be the black kid, right? And so it's like, when does that happen? And so I think, I suppose, I've never seen gender, color. I've never, and, and that's very fortunate to be able to say that, that like I went through an education system that didn't highlight that. And then obviously going to Oxford, like I saw... Oh, you had the biggest difference to me was like that some people had done a gap year and they were one year more mature like that I remember being like oh you feel different to me but nothing else felt different to me and I think sport did that but like music probably does that right like if you play and that's why the extracurricular I think people think they're ticks for university for your curriculum vitae they're not they teach you things about who you are and like be standing up like you know communicating and whatever else and so when I think about me going to India like I wasn't phased because I didn't think like this is going to be a, a man's world I'm entering I didn't think sports was a boy's world I just like sports is my world and out of those um five superpowers what would you wish you had been taught more of as a young person or if there are any at all I think kindness I think kindness and two reasons Kindness to yourself huge, something I'm doing a lot, lot more on now. But I even think kindness to others, you know, the flip side about being slightly jock sports was I probably didn't notice. Today, if I go to an event and I see someone standing by this, themselves, I'm the first person to be like, come over here and join. Like, I'm very attuned to 
like people being left out. And I think as kids, we're not that great at it. And then even in my workplace, like I could probably be kinder to my colleagues and whatever else, but it's kindness. But then on the flip side, I'd say it's also, there is a perception that I might be being firm, but I'm being seen as a woman to being so harsh. Like sometimes my male counterparts will say to me, I'm like, if I said that, I come across as an absolute like, you know, bitch. Whereas like, you just seem like you know what you're talking about. And so I think how do, what would be interesting about those traits are, how do they adapt for women versus men? I think we all have a lot of emotional intelligence, but sometimes that's a bad thing. We're too in tune with everyone else to the point that we're not inside. Whereas like men are, you know, and that's not a bad thing. They can sit down and have a great chat about sports and whatever else and like just get on with it. Whereas we're like, oh my God, you must be upset. Like talk about your feelings. And sometimes you don't want to do that. And so I think it'd be interesting to think about like if you drew out those skills and like as a guy, as a girl, where can we, where can we correct the over and under in them? Absolutely. Yeah. There's definitely space for all, all of us to be working on those and looking at where the differences lie. Yeah. And what about you, Dr. Jolly? What would you say out of the five superpowers, one that you wish you either had more of or taught, were taught more about when you were younger? I think uh, kindness, empathy are important, but empathy we learn in our job as well. <laughs> but self-confidence is another one. I think you have to have confidence that you can do this. Yeah, but I I have to say, you're um, in my personal experience. I have a young boy who had, was diagnosed with autism, and I have to say, he was very confusing to diagnose him when he was younger. And there were very few doctors I met with empathy. There can be, there can be, yes. Okay, you said that. I know. When I was working, I was in a group practice, and there were some that even I could say they didn't have as much empathy as some of the others, and. Having said that, nowadays, some of the younger doctors, you find less empathy than the older ones. That's my personal experience from working uh, with different people. Empathy is very important, really. But I think also, I think self-confidence is also important because you have to have that confidence that I can do it. I can get there. I'm going to just pick up to what you just said about failure and it's actually um i think it's so important about resilience self-confidence those two especially you cannot have them if you're scared of failure you just can't and i think we are brought up so much of like scared of failure and there's a beautiful quote which is if you fail today tomorrow you are one step closer to succeeding if you try and put off doing something tomorrow till next week because you're scared of failure, that is another whole week that you are closer to failure than like if you just did it today, right? And then the other thing is like, I think a lot of people are stressed a lot. And I do personally feel like you are stressed because you don't have a plan, you're not actioning. And again, the stress comes from the fear. And so I would say another thing is like, when I left consulting, I was like, what's the worst that's gonna happen? I'll come back to my job. Like, honestly, what's the worst that's going to happen? And I think, again, guys are less scared of failure because they have the confidence that they'll figure it out. Sometimes I see this, like, you know, it'd be interesting to have a look at turnover. How many guys quit jobs with nothing else to do or like, and and backing themselves to come back versus women who stay there because they're like, well, what else, what else am I going to do? And so I just, I think I would, every little girl and mother out there, like, 
get used to failure it's just part of life like every successful person has failed so much you only see the successes like you know I was on the Forbes list you only see that you don't see how many times I'm how many I'm not going around being like here's a list I wasn't on here's a list I wasn't on here's a list I was like they're all failures in their own little way right like and so you you know people often are like oh you're so lucky no I, I just take tons of chances I fail tons I've hired and and screwed up tons of times but the ones that work out are great and so I think not being scared of failure so important you should be prepared to adapt and change don't think afraid so that's it really because a change of direction might help and take you further up sometimes like I wanted to be a hospital consultant always and then I ended up being a GP and after becoming a GP, I wouldn't go back and work in the hospitals. I loved what I was doing before. Then I loved what I was doing then. And I wouldn't go back. Even when the hospital rang me, you want to come back? I said, no, thank you. <laughs> Often plan B is better, better than plan A. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So sometimes you have a change of direction and you find the right thing for you. That's beautiful. So we've discussed a lot of things that <laughs> I feel like I've learned a lot about both of you, which has been absolutely marvelous. But if you could go back today, knowing everything we've just spoken about and all you know about the life that you've had, and you could go back and whisper something to your teen self, what would it be? Live your dream. <laughs> I would say, look after yourself. Do you both have a role model that you'd like to share with us today? Somebody that means a lot to you. I'm kind of picking up a vibe here, but I don't want to be presumptuous. <laughs> Who are your role models? I think you spoke highly of your mum, and funnily enough, Shereen, you spoke, you, you, you know, you've invited your mum. So I could guess that that is it, but would you like to share it in your own words? Yeah, I think mum has been amazing for her encouragement and everything that she stands for. But then also, I would say that I think there are things like I've talked about mom's needs. I think there are things that like, I think mom hasn't done great for herself. And I think realizing that and knowing what you as a next generation will change or want to change. Like you said, Ramita, it's about taking on the traits that make us amazing and then like figuring out the ones that we want to keep building on. Right. And so I would say you are my role model. Absolutely, mom. If I could go back to your teenage self, I would say look after yourself to you. That's got me all the moosh. Um, that's beautiful. I think that's really lovely. And I love the fact that, you know, when you love someone as much as you do, you don't want to see them being, being looked after. And what about you, Dr. Jolly? Who is your role model? And or did you have someone different when you were younger? And is that person changed for you as you've gotten older? I think mainly it was my mum. Then I had a couple of teachers in school when I looked at them. And they, actually, it is true. And I used to think, oh, they are so confident and uh, personality and whatever. So it gave you encouragement. And then I think after I got married, even my mother-in-law, 
I would give her some credit. I would give her a lot of credit, really, for making me what I am. Uh, she was a wonderful person. I couldn't have wished for a better person in my life, mother in law. They were my role models, and I would love to see my daughters progress more further than where we went. And I'm so glad, in a way, I'm just going to add this, this is, that I don't live in India. <laughs> no. Because otherwise you would have been stuck in the same cycle. Girls get educated, but not be able to go further. Wow. Well, we've we've had a lot of food for thought today. It's been amazing to listen to both of you. It's been obviously a wonderful treat for me to have two generations and a mother-daughter onto my podcast. I said to Ishmeen earlier, this could be the new thing for Elevate. This could be a whole new genre of podcasting that we have because it's so nice to be able to get both insights in and actually hear how some of the decisions you might have made as a young mom have impacted Ishveen as a young lady. It's absolutely brilliant. And I think it's such a great way to message what we're trying to do in terms of female empowerment for young girls. Thank you for the work that you're doing, Ishveen, in supporting female leagues, female athletes, just females in general. But most importantly, I'm just so grateful for the support that you're putting out there for women as a gender. If anyone who is listening to this and wanted to learn more about you, your work, something about getting internships that open sponsorship, how they might get in on some of the action that you're involved in, what can they do to get more enlightened? Yeah, please come and join us as we change the world of sponsorship. Reach out to me on LinkedIn, um, on Twitter, look at our careers page, apply to our jobs and don't drop out of sport. Or if you do, go to the gym. Like you don't have to play sport, like just keep involved in fitness and wellness and then like, yeah, be passionate about sports. And but yeah, like reach out or just follow your passion, whatever it may be, music, arts, whatever it may be. Yeah, I love that. And I, you know, just a reminder again of what we talk about so much about the neuroscience and the brain science, and maybe you as a, a medical professional can attest to this, but there's just so much out there about how physical health keeps helping our malleable brain stay strong and we can't be resilient or confident if we are, don't have strong brain organs. So I think I cannot validate your point more, uh, Ishveen. It's been such a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you both for joining me so much. I will link your website in the show notes. So look it up, look up Ishveen, find her and look at the great work that she's doing and be inspired. I certainly was. Thank you. Well, thanks for having me and mom on. I'm, I'm sure it was like different of a format. And thanks for all the work that you're doing for kids and their mothers. It's really good. Oh, thank you. We'll speak to you again soon. Hi, it's been a while and I wanted to thank you for your patience. Since the last set of conversations we've released, I've published a book. I hope you already know about it, maybe even have it. I would love for you to share my new book, Girl Elevated, Five Steps to Empower Young Girls to Be Their Best with others, teachers, parents, coaches, your friends, anyone who works or is raising young girls. I hope this resource will be something that will be useful and helpful to many. If you have had it and you've enjoyed it, leave me a review on Amazon because that will help lots of other people find this resource as well. Thanks so much for all your support. And that's everything from us today. 
Thank you to all of you for joining in and being part of these very important conversations. I hope you will continue to support our cause by sharing the podcast to raise awareness with others. If you get a moment and could rate and review the podcast, I would also be hugely grateful. I'd like to extend a very big thank you to Ryan Prestipino from the Pine Studios for all the hard work that he does to help me bring this podcast to all of you. Until next time, stay well and speak soon. Bye for now.